Okay, all right. Good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we go ahead and proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father in heaven, we are truly thankful to you for your blessings. Every day, indeed, is a gift coming from you, and we want to use our life to glorify your holy name. So please be with us in every aspect of our life. And as we study your holy words, may you please help us to understand your teachings that we may apply them daily in our life. And so grow closer and closer to you. Lord Jesus, we also beg you to please have mercy upon us. Pray for your servants that our faith will grow as we study the commandments of our Father. We believe, O God, that you have listened to all of our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. I do believe that you probably have noticed by now that God's people are not perfect, right? They make mistakes. They have weaknesses. They have shortcomings. And when you group together people who are weak and have shortcomings, you're going to have a dysfunctional family. And there are many people who are quite surprised when they all of a sudden look at a family of God's people. Take note, uh, Jacob, Isaac, Rebecca, and Esau, they're not just people or a family. They're supposed to be the family from which the people all over the world will be blessed. And so you would expect this is going to be a very godly, very functional family. But when we look at the household of Isaac, what we find is a different story. What we see is a dysfunctional family. And you know, when you have a dysfunctional family, it's not going to be happy moments. You're going to have very miserable times, right? And so when did this misery begin to manifest itself? Let's read Genesis chapter 26, 34 to 35. At the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Remember when Abraham was about to die, what did he do? He wanted to make sure that he gets a proper wife for who? For Isaac. This is why he said, go all the way to my relative's home. I don't want you to marry a Hittite. Here comes Isaac. He's getting old. His son Esau turned 40. He's about to get married, but he doesn't make arrangements for his marriage. It seems as though he didn't even care whether or not Esau married Hittites. And so what does Esau do? He married Hittites. How many? Not one, but two Hittite wives. What does that show us? Esau was not properly supervised by his parents. And so what did this result in? The Bible says Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. Basically, you reap what you sow. And so we have Isaac is getting older. And when you get older, it's time to give the blessing. And so what does Isaac tell Esau to do? Let's go to chapter 27. Yes, we're in chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. One day when Isaac was old, and turning blind. He called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am an old man now. 
Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So here's Isaac is about to die. And so what does he request from his son Esau? to go ahead and prepare his favorite dish. And so for this dish to be prepared, what did Esau have to do? He, have, he has to go out there and kill some wild game. This is why Isaac, his favorite son is Esau, because he really loved the game that was hunted by Esau and the food that he prepared. And so this is happening right before Isaac feels he's going to die. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you were about to die, what would your last wish be? What would you do? I think it's to prepare, right, your, your family. For example, when David, was about, when David was about to die, what did he say to Solomon? I want you to make arrangements, see to it that the temple is going to be built. When Abraham was about to die, what did he do? He spoke to Isaac, and he wanted to make sure that Isaac gets a proper wife. And here comes Isaac. He's about to die. And what does he really care about? Food. <laughs> just, like his son, just like his son Esau, right? It's about a plate of food. And so this conversation is taking place. Guess who is eavesdropping? Talk about dysfunctional family. Next slide. But Rebecca overheard. For some reason, I don't think she overheard it. I think she was eavesdropping, <laughs> right? But Rebecca overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard uh -huh, your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. So who overheard the conversation between Isaac and Esau? The lovely wife, her name was Rebecca. And so she get, I guess she likes to overhear things. And not only does she overhear things, she likes to tell about what she overheard. You know, when an individual has a propensity towards eavesdropping, and a propensity towards telling other people what he or she hears, you get a lot of problems, right? So here's Rebecca overhearing the conversation between Isaac and Esau. Guess who, what she does with that information. She goes to Jacob and tells Jacob about what's going to transpire. Because remember, Rebecca's favorite is who? Jacob. And who was Isaac's favorite? Esau. Esau. Right there, one of the things that makes this family dysfunctional is favoritism, right? I'm hoping nobody here has favorites, right? You know, when I ask my kids sometimes, who's your favorite parent? Is it your son? Or no? <laughs> is it your dad? Or is it your mom? I'm glad they say, well, I love both of you, right? And when they ask me, who is your favorite child? Well, my favorite son is this. My favorite daughter is this. But my favorite child, both of you are my favorites. You should not have favorites. It's going to cause family division and hostility. So here's Rebecca 
with this information, and she talks to her favorite son. What's her name? What's his name again? Jacob, and tells tells um, him about what she has heard. And so, what happens next? Twenty-seven, eight down to ten. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. She's very controlling, huh? She likes to take command. <laughs> Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. And so what does the mother, the wife of Isaac, decide to do? She comes up with a plan so that instead of Esau getting the blessing, it would be who? Jacob. What does she tell Jacob to do? Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'm going to prepare a meal and you're going to give it to your father and pretend you are Esau so that you can receive the blessing instead of Esau. Talk about dysfunctional family. Huh? <laughs> and so when she was telling her son about the plan, what does Jacob think of? Let's read 27, 11 down to 12. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. What was the concern of Jacob? Well, our skins feel differently. Isaac may be losing his sight but he can still feel things, right? If he touches me, he's going to notice this is smooth. This cannot be Esau, right? And so Jacob was concerned. Now, why was Jacob concerned? Was it because he was thinking, you know, this is the wrong thing to do. We should not be deceiving that. Was that his concern? No. His concern was, well, I might not get away with this, right? And I don't want to get cursed. So he was really thinking about himself. It wasn't really whether or not it was the right thing to do. For Jacob, what's important is for him to receive that blessing from his father. So how about this problem? It seemed like a legitimate problem, right? Because they do have different texture skin. One is hairy, one is smooth. And so what do you do about that? That's 27 verse 13. She's a genius. <laughs> That's all I can say. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Not only does she have a plan, she's very bold, isn't she? Let the curse fall on me. <laughs> Just do as I say. What's the plan? Which shows her genius. Genesis 27 verse 14. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Her plan was, if you're going to make him happy, then for sure she, he will probably be easier to deceive. And so this is what she does. And so what happens next? 15 to 17. Then she took Esau's Favorite clothes. Why do you think she takes Esau's favorite clothes? The smell. Yeah. yeah. The smell maybe, right? Which were there in the house? Brother Cesar is 
kind of used to this kind of thing, <laughs> and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. Who can turn down freshly baked bread, right? You see her, you see her genius? I'm going to put on Esau's clothes on you. And the bare parts, I'm going to cover with goat skin. That way, when he tries to feel you out, he's going to say, this is a hairy person. This must be Esau. I wonder if the plan works. Genesis 27, 18. So Jacob uh, took the food to his father. Right? My father, he said, yes, my son. Isaac answered, who are you? <laughs> Esau or Jacob? I wonder if Jacob will do the right thing and not lie to his father. What do you think? You think he's going to lie? Because, I mean, how much does he really want that blessing, right? Let's go to the next slide. Genesis 27, verse 19. Jacob replied, it's Esau. You lied. <laughs> it's Esau, your firstborn son. I have done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. So here's Jacob. He buys into his mother's plan, serves the meal, and tells his father, go eat it, and afterwards go give me the blessing. So far, so good. But what happens next? Verse 20, Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly? <laughs> my son. What does Jacob say? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. You know, the only way to defend a deception is with more lies, right? And so here's Jacob. How did you get it so fast? Oh, because the Lord your God put it in my path. He even blasphemed God, right? And so, does Isaac buy that? Let's read Genesis 27, 21, 24. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So he's getting suspicious. Come closer. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's. <laughs> but the hands... Esau. So the old man is pretty confused, right? Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But he's still not convinced, right? But are you really <laughs> my son Esau? He asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Another lie, right? And so what would finally convince him? 27, 25 to 26. And Isaac said, now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it. And then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. I wonder what he added to that wine. <laughs> then Isaac said to Jacob, because he wasn't yet fully convinced, come a little closer and... Kiss me, my son. You know, Isaac is kind of, uh, he's pretty sharp here. He wants to get a chance to smell him, right? Come a little closer and kiss me. 
And so when this happens, what finally convinces Isaac? 27, 27. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced. He was a genius. Huh? I tell you, Rebecca was a genius. Huh? And he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. So he is finally convinced that the person who served him the food was indeed his firstborn son, firstborn son Esau. And so what happens with the blessing? What did, how does he bless him? 27, 28, 29, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth. May God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. And so the blessing comes with many, many graces from God. Not only is it material, he'll be blessed materially, but also spiritual, spiritually he'll be the link to who? Our Lord Jesus Christ and other spiritual benefits. So the blessing was comprehensive. And I'm pretty sure Jacob was pretty happy, right? He gets a spiritual blessing. And so what happens after this? Uh-oh, 30, 32. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. And so as soon as Jacob receives the blessing, who comes in? Esau. And what was he expecting? His blessing. But when he was asked by his father, who are you? He was probably a bit surprised. And so what does the father say? Genesis 27, 33, Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably because he knew that something was wrong. That the one he blessed was not Jacob. And so that the one he blessed was not Esau, but it was Jacob. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, Then who just served me with wild game? I have already eaten it. And I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. You kind of feel bad for Esau? The truth. You feel bad for Esau? I kind of feel bad for him, right? Especially with what happens next. 27, 34, 36. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father. What about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated us. He has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing 
for me, kawawa, no? You really feel bad for him. But maybe there's one blessing left. Let's read. Genesis 27, 37, 38. Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Kawawa, no? He was asking, do you have one left for me? And what does Isaac do? Instead of comfort him, kind of reminds of what he lost, <laughs> right? I already blessed Jacob. Now I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. And it's like pouring salt on the wound. And so he broke down and he wept. Next slide. Genesis 27, 39, 40. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. And so prophecy here was expressed or mentioned by Isaac. And it was a fulfilled because as we studied last week or the week before that, we know that Esau, who begot the Edomites, eventually would become the slaves of Israel. However, the Edomites would eventually break free from the people of Israel. So the two parts of the prophecy was indeed fulfilled. And so because of this, how does Esau feel about Jacob? I think you kind of know how he feels, right? Genesis 27, 41, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Is that a dysfunctional family? Yeah, especially when you have one brother who wants to kill the other brother, right? It came to that point where there was so much hatred and hostility, he actually wanted to kill his brother. But who do you think was eavesdropping? <laughs> Next slide, Genesis 27, 42, 45. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plans. So she sent for Jacob and told him, listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Because remember, Jacob is the favorite. So she's, she's a little bit worried. You know, here's Esau, and he's planning to kill Jacob. And I love my son. And so I'm going to protect my son. So what does she do? So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban. Remember Laban? In Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done to him, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? And so what was... Rebecca's plan after she overheard Esau planning to kill Jacob. She plans to send Jacob to his brother, to her brother in Haran. That's a long way away. That's about 516 miles away. That's all, 
And that's a, a long way to go, right? And what she actually plans to do is, you know, wait for the Isa to cool off, and then I'll ca call you again, and we can be one happy family. That was the plan, right? It turns out, you know, how long um, Jacob stayed in Haran? You know how long before Jacob finally got back to Canaan? About 25 years. She, he never saw his mother again. <laughs> yeah. She didn't realize when she was sending him off because she was afraid for his life. She didn't realize then that was the last time that they would see each other. You know, because a lot of things happened to Jacob because he was reaping what he sowed. <laughs> right. And so, so she needs to figure out a way to convince the head of the household. Who was that? Who was the head of the household? Esau. No. No. Who was the head? Of, I mean, Jacob. Uh, Isaac is still alive. Who's the head of the household? Isaac. And we know that Rebecca is a submissive wife. What do you think? Is she submissive? Yeah. She's submissive, and so she needs to figure out a way for Isaac to go send Laban, or to send um, East, uh, Jacob all the way to Haran. She's got to figure out a way. But you know, she's a genius, right? And so what does she do? Genesis 27, 46, and Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. <laughs> I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. <coughs> Remember when Esau married two Hittite women? It caused a lot of pain and misery in the life of Jacob and Rebekah. And so Rebekah kind of reminds Isaac, you know what, dear? I would hate it if Jacob would marry one of them. <laughs> Did it work? What do you think? So what does uh, Isaac co come up with for a plan? Genesis 28. We're in chapter 28. Look at that. Genesis 28, 1 to 5. So Isaac called for Jacob, bless him, blessed him, and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. And so Isaac follows along with the manipulation of Rebecca and decides, okay, Jacob, you got to go. You go to Haran and find a wife there. So it worked. But who, who noticed uh, about this scenario? Next slide. Genesis 28, 6 down to 9. Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife. And that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had, ob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padam, Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. I'd like to pause for a while. So it wasn't clear 
to Esau that he was not supposed to marry a Canaanite, right? It wasn't clear. So whose problem was that? Whose shortcoming was that? <laughs> the parents, right? They did not remind them about the laws of God. You're not supposed to marry a Canaanite or a Hittite. And so now he begins to realize my parents don't approve of this marriage. And so what does he decide to do? Verse 9, so Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters. In addition to the wives he already had, his new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the sister of Nebaioth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. So what does uh, Esau decide to do? Go to marry uh, a relative, Ishmael, a daughter of Ishmael, thinking that by doing so, maybe he would receive a blessing from his father. You don't know. What kind of thinking? It wasn't too sharp, right? Not too sharp of a guy. And so what happens next? Genesis 28, 10 to 11. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba, traveled toward north toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. So he's on his way to Haran. In, in, a, uh, in between that place, Jacob decides to stay for a while. Falls asleep at night. And while he was sleeping, what happens to him? Next slide. 28, 12 to 15. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And so while he was sleeping, God visits him. How? Through a dream. And so he has a dream. And what is this dream about? About a ladder reaching out to heaven. And at the top there of the ladder or the, stair, the, the staircase or stairway is the Lord God, right? And God speaks to him in the dream. What does he say to Jacob? He basically repeats the promise he made to who? Abraham. That he repeated also to Isaac. Now he repeats it to Jacob. So the covenant was renewed. This time with Jacob. And God says to him, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. And after this dream, what does Jacob do? 28, 16 to 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. 
It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So what does he name that place? Genesis 28, 18 and 19. The next morning, Jacob got up early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although the name of the nearby village was Luz. And because of the visit that God had, or God's visit through his dream, Jacob decides to memorialize that place, and he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. And when we go to our trip in Israel, we're going to see Bethel, the house of God, in a nearby village called Luz. Genesis 28, 20 to 22, what is the vow that Jacob makes? Then Jacob made his vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up, I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives. And so he makes a vow to God. What do you notice about this vow that Jacob makes to God? Remember, God initiates the relationship by speaking to him in a dream, right? What do you notice about the vow Jacob makes? Yeah, what do you notice? It's conditional. God makes an unconditional promise. And here's Jacob. If, right, you will protect me. If you will give, provide food and clothing. If I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. So he still lacks trust. Clearly, God has a lot of work to do with who? Jacob, right? God has a lot of work to do with Jacob. And we're going to see how God will work that out in the rest of Genesis, okay? How God will make a man, a real spiritual man, out of Jacob. It's interesting what Jacob has to go through to be able to finally learn how to be a man of God. So, so that's the, the, the end of chapter 28 of Genesis. And so we can kind of piece together some of the profiles of, these, uh, of this dysfunctional family, right? For example, next slide. Look at the profile of Isaac. What do you think? What can you say about Isaac? <laughs> Number one, he kind of suffered a spiritual decline. When he was a young lad, he agreed with Abraham that he used to be offered, Right? But then, uh, all of a sudden, he did not become better. Instead, he became worse. This is why he did not remind his children about who to marry. This is why he was only concerned about the plate of food, rather than the spiritual heritage that God has blessed him with. What else? Number two, he was very passive, right? This is why he was so easily convinced and manipulated and controlled by Rebecca. He was the head of the household. But he didn't realize he was just a puppet. <laughs> you know people like that? I know a lot of people like that. Next slide. What else? Number three, he was undiscerning. Perhaps he, did not, he was not even aware of the hostility in his own household, the favoritism. He was undiscerning. This is why he was easily deceived. He should have followed his instinct. This cannot be es Esau. <laughs> right? But uh, he was easily tricked. What else? 
Number four, tradition over prophecy. Do you believe that Jacob knew about the prophecy that God had announced or that Isaac knew about the prophecy God announced when Isaac, when Jacob and Esau was still in the womb? Remember the prophecy? What does the prophecy say? It will be the younger who will be served by the older. So he knows about the prophecy. But why did he not plan to bless Jacob instead of Esau? Because of tradition. <coughs> and so rather than not doing what tradition says, rather than do what tradition, he decided, you know, I would, it'd be better for me to follow tradition than to follow what prophecy says. For him, what was more important was what everyone else was accustomed to doing rather than breaking it only because of a prophecy. And so for a lot of us, some of us are kind of like this, right? I mean, look at what happened to the, the church where we came from. What does tradition say? Oh, you got to be registered in this institution, right? Tradition. And all of a sudden, here comes a prophecy. And so many people, wait a minute. This is not right. I've always been told this. I've always been said, do not lose your membership. We're not telling you to lose your membership. We're telling you remain in the body of Christ, even if it means losing your membership in that institution. The tradition kind of overtakes the prophecy. But for us, what we have in common, we held on to what? The prophecy, right? We held on to the prophecy and broke through tradition. What else? Number five, like we said, he showed favoritism. He loved his son Esau more than Jacob. What else? Number six, lacked leadership, right? He lacked leadership. This is why he did not remind the brothers about God's will, God's words. There was a lack of leadership. And when there's a lack of leadership, there's going to be a lot of dysfunction in the family. This is why we're speaking to the heads of the households, brothers and sisters. Establish leadership. Lead your family to worship the Lord God. Okay, how about Rebecca? Next slide. Profile of Rebecca. I think you can kind of, can some of you relate? Husbands who are here, can you relate with Rebecca? Huh? What is, what is one? Number one, she's kind of controlling, right? You notice that? She was very controlling. When she likes to listen to other people's conversations and tells other people about it, you know she's controlling. What else? Number two, she was very aggressive. When... Jacob was concerned, what if we get caught and I get cursed? Don't worry about that. Just do as I say. I'll take the curse for you, right? She had a plan, and she did not wait for the right opportunity. She, she took the opportunity to carry out that plan, right? She was very aggressive. What else? Number three, she was submissive, but she got her way because she was manipulative. So outwardly, she was submissive, but in reality, she was controlling and manipulating her own husband, right? This is why she was able to convince him to send Jacob all the way to Haran. What else? Number four, deceitful, because she had to resort to lies to get her, her way. What else? Number five, showed favoritism. Who was her favorite? Jacob. <laughs> it's not good when you do that. What else? Good thing about her, though, she held on to the prophecy. She knew, she knew, she was determined. Jacob had to be the one to get the blessing. But, but because she was so controlling, instead of letting God do it his way, she took matters into her own 
hands. So we can say the same thing about Jacob. They took matters into their own hands and we had a conversation. They talk about it probably all the time. You know what? God said, you are the man. And so we got to make sure this happens. And so they took matters into their own hand rather than trusting God to carry out his plan. This is what happens. Okay, that's a Rebecca. Next, profile of Jacob. What can you say about Jacob? Number one, kind of had spiritual pride. He knew early on he was the man, right? He was the anointed one. He was the one who is to be the, the, the blessing coming from God. He'll be the one who will be linked to our Lord, Jesus Christ. So he had some spiritual pride. And when you have spiritual pride, you kind of don't consider the other person anymore. You only think about your self, right? When you have spiritual pride, what also kind of you kind of miss out on. Next slide. Righteousness does not take priority. In other words, what matters is not whether or not something is right or wrong, but if it will carry, if it will serve its purpose in fulfilling your right, your self-righteous agenda. This is why Jacob wasn't concerned. Is this really right to trick our to trick uh, Isaac? He was concerned about getting caught. Right. Next slide. What else? He was cunning. This is why he was called a, a deceiver, a cheater. Twice he cheated Esau. What else? Number four. He was very determined. Right. You can see his determination. You and you can see, and we will see later on that he is a very determined person. What else? Uh, profile of Esau this time. Esau. <laughs> this is easy. What do you think about Esau? Number one, he was unspiritual. He despised his birthright. He didn't really care about the spiritual, his spiritual heritage. What else? Number two, he was impulsive. What does it mean to be impulsive? You take actions without really thinking about what you're doing. This is why it was easy for him to sell his birthright because it is, the Bible says, he despised his birthright because of his unspirituality. What else? Number three, flesh-oriented. Rather than obey God, it's easier for him to obey his flesh. This is why when he was hungry, what did he say, remember? I'm about to die. What's good will my birthright do for me? And so he was dictated by the whims of his flesh. He was controlled by his flesh. He was flesh-oriented. If it feels good, do it. That's his motto, right? And for Jacob, the ends justify the means. The motto, the motto of the two children. And lastly, number four, he wasn't really a deep thinker. He was a shallow thinker. All he cared about was satisfying the whims of the flesh. So that's the profile of Ezo. And you can see why, because of the different personalities, how they were dysfunctional, right? And when you have dysfunction in the family, you live in sin, always keep in mind, next slide, there's going to be what? Consequences of sin. So what were some of the consequences of sin? Number one, hatred, right? There was no love in the family. Everyone hated each other. What else? Number two, there was division because you had favorites. And so you had one division is mother and son. The other one, father and the other son. There's division. There's no love. What else? 
There was separation. Who had to leave the household? Who was that? Jacob. It was supposed to be only for a couple of months or maybe a couple of weeks. But the couple of months, couple of weeks, it turned out to be what? 20 plus years. Can you imagine that? What else? Number four, Isaac's life was not very prolific. This, I think this is the last we kind of hear about Isaac until he dies. Abraham had a lot of content. You notice that? Jacob, as you will see, will also have a lot of content. But Isaac, a couple of pages. It wasn't really prolific. What else? Number five, Rebecca was not mentioned again. The next time her name pops up is in Genesis 49, when it says that Rebecca is also in the cave of Machpelah. That's pretty sad. Because the last time uh, Rebecca and her favorite son would see each other was when she sent him away. And she was stuck with her other son. <laughs> right? See the irony of that? Number six. And as we will see, Jacob, who cheated, was also a victim of being cheated. And not only that, you will see in the next chapters how Jacob pretty much reaps what he sows. And so, brethren, yes, we can be forgiven of sin. However, we have to reap what we sow. We have to also face the consequences of sin and so if you want to have a happy family get rid of sin and so if we don't want a dysfunctional family what then do we want a functional right how many here want a functional family <laughs> we all want that and so how do you have that next slide we need to have a godly family so how do you raise a godly family number one constant reminder of the word of god Next slide, please. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. According to scriptures, what is the command of God to the parents? Remind the children always, again and again, about the words of God, the commands of God. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as what? Reminders. You know what? There's even a command of God that I want to share with you here related to this passage in Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 8. In Numbers 15, 37, 39, I don't know if you've heard of this command before. The Lord commanded Moses to say to the people of Israel, make castles. Tassels. You know what a tassel is? What's a tassel? Like a string? Yeah. On the corners of your garments, because you wear garments. Everybody has garments. Everybody has clothing. Everyone here in this room is wearing clothing. And so God says, tell Moses, tell the people, on their clothing, put on a blue cord on each tassel. You are to do this for all time to come. The tassels, what will they do? Serve as reminders, and each time you see them, you will remember all my commands and obey them. Then you will not turn away from me and follow your own wishes and desires. So what was God's command? God wear a tassel to remind you of the word of God with a blue color. You know what that's called? Next slide. It's called a 
it kind of makes sense to call it tit-tit, right? Because it's supposed to remind you of God's words. If you're about to commit sin, all of a sudden you see the tit-tit. It's like people, someone calling you out. Don't do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> you got to obey the command of God. That's the tit-tit. And to show you an example, I have one right here. This is the tit-tit. <laughs> so you got to get one. You got to get one too, <laughs> right? Uh, show the camera right there. That's the tit-tit. You wear it the way it's shown here. And so you are reminded every day, every moment, to obey the commands of our Almighty. Why is that so important? So that we can walk. We can walk according to the ways of the Lord God. And if you do this, what will happen to your family? Let's read Psalms 128.23. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in His ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. So we saw Isaac's family, right? That's not the kind of family life God wants us to have. It's this right here. But for us to have this, what do we need to do? All of us walk in the ways of our God by obeying his commands. So that's number one. What's number two? Next slide, please. Reverence for Christ. If you take Christ out of the household, it's going to fall apart. And so if we want to have a blessed family, we must make sure central in that household is who? Christ. We have to have reverence for Christ. How do you have reverence for Christ? Ephesians 5 verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is why wives submit to the authority of the husband. But the husband submit to the needs of the wife. Children submit to the authority of the parents, but parents submit to the temperament of your kids. This is all biblical. This is how we can show we have reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another. Did you get that? That's an important point. What else? Next slide, please. Number three, communicate often and effectively. Parents, talk to your kids. Kids, talk to your parents. But it must be done effectively. How do you do that? Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, have conversation. But it should be wholesome talk. You know why? Because if the only time parents talk to their kids is if when someone is in trouble, do you think... The, the children are going to be inclined to open to you whatever they're facing in school? Peer pressure? Probably not, right? This is why we want you to open the communication lines. How do you do that? By making sure when you have conversations, it benefits. It benefits. Not the other way around where the son or the daughter says, I should not have even mentioned it to mom or to dad, right? Because instead of sorting things out and resolving the issues, what happens? It just gets worse. No. If your son is in trouble and he or she opens up to you, tells you about the problem, he's already in pain, why are you going to add to the pain? I told you not to. Right? Isn't that how we do things? Right? He's like in some kind of trouble. He goes to us and goes, you know, he's kind of crying. And so what does he need at that moment? I told you so. Is that what he needs? I told you. Look, this is, you deserve to have this happen to you. That's how we typically do things, right? No. 
What does he need at that time? Comfort, right? Comfort. And then tell them, okay, what could we have done better? What could you have done better? Comfort and then counsel. Did you get that? That is how you open the communication lines and have things done so that people are built up, not destroyed, okay? Uh, what's number four? Gently restoring. What is the basis? Galatians 6, 1 and 2, my friends, if someone is caught in any kind of wrongdoing, those of you who are spiritual should set, them, set him right. But you must do it. What does it say? In a gentle way. And keep an eye on yourself so that you will not be tempted to help carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. This applies to our relationships across the board within the family of God. But it also applies within your own family, right? You know, in every family, every husband-wife relationship, there's always going to be problems. It's guaranteed. But you know what makes a happy family different from an unhappy family? Happy families know how to make repairs. Did you get that? There's always going to be conflict. But happy families, they know how to make repairs when damage has been done. But do it gently. Restore gently. Next slide, please. Number five, leadership. There has to be leadership. If there's no leadership, it's going to be divided. And who's a good example of one who led? Let's read Joshua 24, verse 15. If you are not willing to serve him, decide today whom you will serve, the gods your ancestor worshipped Mesopotamia, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. As for my family and me, we will serve thee. We need to have that kind of leadership. And usually that's the father, right? The father should be the one to get to his family and say to him, say to them, we will serve thee, Lord. Take leadership. Next slide. So that's how you raise a godly family. Number one, constant reminder of the word of God. If I were you, I'd get a, what do you call that thing? A tassel? Get a chit chit. You can get it online. I don't... Number two, reverence for Christ, mutual Submission, mutual submission. Number three, communicate often and effectively. Number four, gently restore and repair. Number five, leadership. You know, if, if Isaac and Rebecca follow this, I think Jacob and Esau would have been happy brothers, right? But instead, what do we have? We have Jacob running away. For his life, never to come back again and see his mother, right? That's not what we want. What we want is this a godly family, okay? Which makes us wonder when Jacob left for Haran. I want to go back to Genesis 28 10 to 11. Meanwhile, right, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled where? To Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. That place was called Bethel. Remember? Bethel. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. If you were Jacob, if you were Jacob, and all this, you're running away from your own brother. I don't know. You're, you're on a journey so to go to a, a place 516 miles away. If you were Jacob, what would you be thinking? 
what would you be thinking? You just cheated your brother from his birthright. What would you be thinking right now? Huh? What are you thinking? Because uh, next slide. That's a pretty long trip to go from Beersheba all the way to Haran. So at Bethel, he decides to stop. Bethel. And so all this time he was traveling to Bethel, he must have been thinking something. You know what I think he was thinking about? I think he was thinking about, I just cheated my brother. And because of this, I have to run away. My brother hates me. My father hates me. My mom, I probably will not see again. But on top of that, you know what I think? Jacob must have felt. He probably said to himself, does God still, did, does he approve of my blessing? Does he approve of my blessing, right? Wouldn't that be what you were thinking? And so he went to sleep, probably have this on his mind. And so what happens next? Next slide, please. Genesis 28. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And what did God say to him? He affirmed. He affirmed what? The blessing, right? And so he got his answer. Maybe he was repenting. I don't know. Maybe he did. And God affirms the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, now to Jacob. And I don't know about you. You know what it's a dream? What do you think that dream is about? Before he makes the promise, what is the dream about? He sees a vision of a stairway that leads to heaven. And at the end of that stairway is God. And his angels coming up and down. Anyone here like to interpret dreams? What do you think that dream is about? And after that dream, or after he sees the stairway, God says to him, Pretty much what he promised Abraham and Isaac. What do you think that stairway means? What does the stairway do? It connects what? Earth and heaven. Who is, at the, who is right there in heaven? God. So it connects earth to who? God who is in heaven. Who connects us human beings on earth to God? Who is it? Christ. Could it be that the staircase is representing who? Do you think that's possible? I think so. I think so. But why do I believe that? Next slide. John 151. Who's the one speaking here? Christ. Then Christ said, right? Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will see all. You will all see heaven open. And the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is, what does it say? The stairway between heaven and earth. And so in that dream, God has revealed his plan to Jacob. He just didn't realize that he, Jacob, would be connected to that stairway that would connect all of humanity to God in heaven.
And so you look at all these different clues in the Holy Scriptures, and we see lots and lots of symbols, types, which convinces us that even before the world was made, God was already planning about who? Our Lord. Are you convinced about that? Do you see that Jesus is in Genesis? And how God is preparing all of humanity for the coming of the Messiah? It's there. This is why we, are, we delight in the words of God. We did not see this before. But now we are seeing this. But the question, the question that many of you wanted to ask, but did not dare ask, is the next one, right? Next slide. How could God bless jo Jacob, who deceived and lied to get the blessings from his father Isaac, right? Can you imagine? Right after the act of deceit, what does God do? He gives him a vision of his plan concerning Jesus and tells him, you're part of that plan. <laughs> right after his deceit and lies. How is that possible? Why? You want to know why? You do? Romans explains it. Romans 9, 11 and 15. Yet before the twins were born. Who were the twins? Jacob and Esau. Or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand. Not by works, but by him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see the sovereignty of God? Can he bless anyone he wants? Yeah. Can he show mercy and compassion upon anyone he wants? Yes. This is why Jacob was so fortunate. Why? God chose him not because of what he did. He was still in the womb. <laughs> what does that mean? It only means that there was nothing, nothing Jacob could have done that would have caused God to change his mind. Did you get that? And when God blesses Jacob right after he practices his deceit, it's not to condone deceit because Jacob had to pay for those sins, but they did not change the eternal plan of God. Why? Because that's election. You see, the reason why Jacob was blessed despite of his sins is because God's election and purpose is true. This is why we should be confident. The reason why you're all here you know why? It's not really because of something we did. Jacob was so fortunate because even before he was born, God chose him. Do you know also who was chosen before they were born? Let's read Ephesians 1, 4 to 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. You probably were envying Jacob, how fortunate he was, even though he had many faults. God loved him anyways. God used him anyways. You know, brethren, the reason why Jacob was used by God is to fulfill his plan so that he would have a Christ. This is why in the genealogy, you can, lead, you can look at the genealogy, Christ, and trace back all the different descendants to Jacob. 
But after Christ, you notice there's no more genealogy. Why? Because the genealogy points to who? Christ. When Christ was there, everything's already done. And the good part, we're included. You're included. This is why you should not be afraid. Yes, we make mistakes, right? Yes, we make sins. But you should never say, so long as you are in Christ Jesus, you should never say, God no longer loves me. Don't ever say that. God loved Jacob. God loves you. Why? He chose you before you could even do anything. Before you had works, God had already chosen you. Consider yourselves fortunate. God has blessed you because he elected you to be in Christ Jesus. He adopted you as sons and daughters. We belong to the family now of God. Family of Christ. Is it dysfunctional? Maybe a little bit, right? We all have our own different personalities and we clash all the time. But you know what? God's going to make it work. Why? Because it's part of his plan. His eternal plan. We are now belonging to God's family. And because we belong to God's family, what can we expect? Hebrews 12, 5 to 6. And, you, and have you forgotten the encouraging words? God spoke to you as his children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one. He accepts as his child. Will God condone sin? No. You have to pay for the sins. We have to own up for, we have to experience the consequences of those sins. And time, sometimes God will even punish us, right? And so do not think we can commit sin now. I'm a child of God. I belong to Christ. I cannot commit sin. No. Brethren, God doesn't want us to sin. But even if we sin, it doesn't mean God will disown us. Did you get that? I mean, the parents who are here, are you going to disown your kids because they got an F? Or because they stole something? Are you going to disown your kids? No. God is the same way. Yes, he will punish us, but he will not disown us. And so what must we do when we are being punished and disciplined? Hebrews 12, 7 and 9. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? See, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to live forever. Submit to God's discipline. He does that because he wants us to learn and not only that do you also know what god planned for us even before the world was made even before you were born what is that romans 8 29 30 for god knew he knew his people in advance and he chose them to be like his son so that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and having chosen them he called them to come to him and having called them he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Isn't that nice? So long as you're in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. 
God will punish you if you sin. But so long as you're in Christ Jesus, everything will work out. Everything will work out. This is why the reason why we're all in Christ Jesus is because God called us in the first place. And so what should we be confident about? Let's read the final passage of our studies. Romans as well, 8, 38 to 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jacob was part of God's plan. This is why when Jacob and Isaac and Abraham were approached by God and called by God, it was already their destiny to fulfill this. Because we belong to Christ, our destiny will be to receive the promise of everlasting life. And nothing, did you get that? Nothing on earth will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. No institution, no powers here on earth, not even death. This is why, brethren, we should rejoice. No matter how dysfunctional we be, we, be, we, be, we may become sometimes, it will not change God's plan. We belong to Christ, and because of Christ, nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. And so as a son and daughter of God, we have every reason to be joyful because of what is being prepared for each and every one of his children. Okay? Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, yes, thank you so much for giving us assurance yes. that even if we falter, yes. even if we commit sin, yes. even if we have many shortcomings, yes. you will never give up on us. Yes. Because even before we could do right or wrong, you have chosen us yes. to be adopted as your sons and daughters. Amen. Father, we are no longer afraid. Yes. If we are your children, yes. so long as we remain in your son, yes. we will belong to you. Yes. Thank you so much, O oh God, yes. because of your sovereignty and love. Amen. Bless each one here. Teach us to learn from our mistakes. Yes. Teach us to live according to your commands. Yes. We believe you have given them to us yes. to guide us in all that we do, yes. that we can draw closer to you, Amen. our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Thank you so much. We were chosen to belong to you. Yes. Lord, have mercy upon us. Yes. Give us courage and strength, yes. comfort when we need it, that we can remain faithful to you and our God. Amen. Father, bless your people throughout the world. Yes. What's left of the very small remnant. Yes. Protect your people. Yes. Bless those who are being persecuted. Yes. Provide for our needs. Yes. Lord God, whatever happens in our life, 
we will never leave you. Yes. We are convinced and persuaded. Whatever happens in our life, we will go to you yes. and worship you forever. Thank you so much, oh God, for your compassion. Yes. Continue to have mercy upon all of us yes. because we belong to your beloved Son. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.